Egypt, uh, where they had become slaves for generations and freed them from their slavery. Uh, the Bible says in Exodus chapter number one and two that Israel was made to serve, the Bible says, with rigor. In other words, it was really hard. You know, I mean, really not fun. And they worked really hard and they were oppressed and, um, and yet God frees them. Now, last week I titled our first series, first message in the series, what do I need most? And as I read this while I was gone, it's what God spoke to me, you know, Hey, what, what you need most is my presence in your life. And we found that in Exodus chapter three, and verse number 12, where Moses in verse 11 has said, Who am I, God, that I should go unto Pharaoh and bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? And then in verse 12, uh, God says, Certainly I will be with thee, and this shall be a token unto thee that I have sent thee. When thou broughtest forth the people out of Egypt, ye shall serve God upon this mountain. So um, he says, you know, What do you need most is... I will be with you. And we looked at that last week, the value of the presence of the Lord. And this morning, kind of going to continue on it with that thought in mind. Um, I'm so glad to know that today, God still is interested in being present in our lives. Still is. Um, he still desires fellowship with every human being uniquely, uh, personally through the work of Christ. Now we know from the book of Genesis in the Bible, all the way through Exodus, you, all the way through the Old Testament, the theme is the same, even though this book was written by many different authors over, over a thousand years of time, and yet it presents a unified message that God was going to send his son to be our sacrifice for our sins, that he was going to identify with us, which is why he had to become a man. You know, if it, we're going to look at here in a minute that the, the, the blood of goats and bulls was not enough. And certainly one of the clearest pictures of the work of Christ is found in the book of Exodus when God delivers Israel from the death of the firstborn out of Egypt by the blood. You remember God tells Moses, tell the people to take that innocent lamb spotless lamb and shed its blood and put the blood on the doorpost of the door and over the top you know the picture of the cross and God says when the death angel comes God says when I see the blood I will pass over you and you won't be judged with death and the same is true to this very day that you and I as human beings who are sinners need our blood covered yea by the blood of Christ washed away and when you and I stand before God he will not see our sin, but he will see the blood of Christ and the judgment that we deserve will be passed over us and we will go into heaven with God for all eternity. Amen and amen. Matter of fact, Passover, uh, after uh, this event in Exodus, we get a little farther in the book and, and God institutes the, the feast of Passover, which, by the way, is still the oldest continually observed religious ceremony in the world, period. The, the, the history of our faith goes back to the very beginning, if you will. And so we find that Jesus becomes that Passover lamb and dies on Passover. And as we read the gospel accounts, just as he fulfills the picture here in Exodus. Matter of fact, I mentioned a verse in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse number four. The Bible says, for it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. 
The people had done sacrifices for these thousands of years, but they were a picture, they were a covering, a temporary covering, looking for the day that that, uh, our sins would be washed away. Because it wasn't the fault of bulls and goats that sin entered the world, it was the fault of Adam, it was the result of humanity that brought sin into the world, and so man deserved the judgment, which is why God became a man, that he could identify with you and I and take our place and say, I will be that perfect man, because if God were to offer any one of us in here, and we were to die on a cross, there'd be nothing all that unusual, because every one of us ultimately deserves it. You say, well, that sounds pretty severe. Well, you don't understand the holiness of God. We've all sinned against him. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul writes of this victory, and he says, Who hath Jesus, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness, and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption, how through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Uh, Paul, the God says again in Romans chapter 6, For the wages of sin is death. This is eternal death, separation from God. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You say, well, how do I get that eternal life? Well, it's pretty simple. God says in, uh, in John chapter number three, he that believeth on the Son hath, present tense, everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. Either you've believed in Christ as your substitution, as your sacrifice for your sins that died on a cross and rose again, delivering us from death, or you have not. You either have believed on the Son or you have not. It's very simple. Simple faith in Christ. But this morning, I want to move on in the story of the Exodus or bring the next question to mind. We know that God delivers them out of Egypt through the Passover, through the blood, as a picture of salvation. But once they were freed, then what? Where were they going? So I entitled this morning's message, Leaving Egypt, But Now Where? Leaving Egypt, but now where? Now, if I were to ask you this morning, with this brilliant crowd here this morning, the, where were the people going once they left Egypt? The promised land. Thank you, Russ. One, one, one bold odd Baptist. The rest of them are still asleep, but that one... <laughs> But Russ, if anybody needs to hear it, it's you. So I'm glad you're the one that's awake. Um, The promised land. And that's kind of the right answer. Um, That's not where they go first. We're going to look today at an essential location that God takes the children of Israel and that from a spiritual standpoint is a location where we need to go at some point after our salvation. For every person who's been delivered from the bondage of sin. So our text is going to be back in Exodus verse chapter 3 and verse number 12. Um, notice what the scripture says. He says, Moses says, who am I that I should lead the people? And how are they going to, how am I going to do this? And, and God says in verse 12, certainly I will be with thee. And then he says this. And as I read through the book of Exodus, these, both of these things just kind of caught my attention. I go, I've read this many times, but I don't remember this. Here it is very early. God is talking to Moses through the burning bush. This is Moses' experience with God there at at Mount Sinai. And he says, God says, this shall be a token unto thee that I have sent thee. When thou hast brought forth the people out of Egypt, ye shall serve God upon this mountain. Wow. 
I, I don't think I'd ever seen this before, how that God tells Moses, all right, I'm going to be with you. All right, I get that. But then God says, I'm going to give you a sign, and this is going to be the sign. Uh, now, some people think the sign is the burning bush. And I guess there are some that hold that, and maybe so. But as you read this verse, and you look at it in the future tense, this shall be a token. And then there's the colon there in the, in the, in, in the sentence connecting these phrases together. The sign is future tense, and the sign is this. God says, I'm going to give you a sign. I'm going to do this. And Moses, one day, you're going to stand and serve God and worship God with millions of your Jewish family in this very mountain. I really never stopped to thought about that before. Now, because I have to get just a wee bit theological with you this morning, um, understand that some folks, when they read this, because when I read some commentaries, it astounds me that people like to just, oop, let's just insert our theology here. But um, here we go. Uh, um, some people say that when God's talking to Moses here and he says, you know, here's your sign that you're going to bring the people here and you're going to serve me on this mountain is a picture of the sovereignty of God, the abusive sovereignty of God that basically says, Moses, this is what you will do. Moses is what's going to happen, you know, and you have no choice in the matter. Now, I find this a, a, a failing interpretation for many reasons, but it certainly removes the tension of this whole encounter that Moses is having with God. Why is God asking him to do this stuff if Moses doesn't really have a choice? So it's kind of been my question. Why? Moses is clearly showing moral agency to choose, and God is offering Moses a way of faith. And matter of fact, if you continue to read in the story and you get to Exodus chapter number four, you'll find that Moses brings up again that, you know, I am slow of tongue and I'm not eloquent. And he, he still is claiming that he can't speak well for God and that God's got the wrong guy. Now, if you read the story, you're not going to find in the story that God says, well, I have decreed it. You will do it. Remember what happens? God finally gets kind of a little weary of Moses and says, okay, Moses, I, you don't think you can talk. We'll go get Aaron. I know that he can talk. I made him and Aaron can be your mouthpiece for you. And Aaron becomes his mouthpiece. I found that interesting. Seems like choice to me, doesn't it? Doesn't seem like what God really desired was for Moses to do it. And Moses kept saying, no, I can't, no, I can't. And ultimately, God, God relents, if you will, and says, okay, I'm going to honor your choice. Now, you say, well, what does it mean? Certainly, it demonstrates God's foreknowledge. He tells Moses, you're going you're gonna to lead a bunch of people in worship on this very mountain. And God does know all things that are going to come to pass. But please understand very clearly that, that God can know things without choosing them in terms of making us do what he wants, but doesn't deny the fact God knows. Nothing you and I are ever going to do is ever going to surprise him. I tell some folks, they, when they come to faith in Christ, they're, they're, when they struggle with it, they say, oh, I can't become a Christian because, I, you know, I did this and I did that. Or, or maybe once they do get saved, they say, well, I lost my salvation because, you know, I, I committed this sin and that sin. And after I, made, after I got saved, I did this. And I'm like, you think God didn't know that? Nothing you've done is going to, God's going to go, wow, didn't see that coming. <laughs> uh, no, he saved you, all of you, the moment you've in simple faith turned to him for the finished work of Jesus Christ. So God is challenging Moses, I think, to act in faith and let Moses know. I don't think he's telling him this just like, oh, look what I know. He's telling Moses, Moses, 
this is what I can do and am going to do in your life. You remember, this is Moses, where he's at right now in his life. He was run out of Egypt and rejected by both his own brethren and by the Egyptians. And in Exodus chapter 3, in the first couple of verses, it tells us that Moses ran to Midian, which is on the back side, the Bible says, the back side of the desert. And Moses had been living there for nearly 40 years. And you have to give it to Moses. He had made somewhat of a life for himself. He met Jethro, his father-in-law, who had given him his daughter, Sipporah, the wife. And he had had a couple children. And, 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 and he had kind of made peace with him. But don't, don't ever lose sight of the fact that coming to the backside of the desert for Moses compared to being the prince of Egypt. And, and then he tried to deliver the, the Jewish, you know, the Israelites and failed, failed both ways. Don't, don't ever lose sight of the fact that for him, and like us, when you're in the middle of the desert, usually it's living in the land of his fear, his failure, his loneliness, and his rejection. And I admire the fact that he somewhat prospered, and what Moses does is he says, well, I'm no longer the prince of Egypt. I'm no longer of any value to my kinsmen, but I'm doing okay, right? But then one day, God shows up in the by the base of the mountain there through the burning bush. But Moses began to accept his limitations, his speech issue, his leadership issue. You can see when Moses is talking to God, this is a very insecure man. They're never going to follow me. I mean, God, I tried this once and I failed and then I can't talk very well. And, you know, now I'm, 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 I'm a shepherd in the middle of nowhere in the backside of the desert and nobody cares. And I've been here for four decades and, you know, God, what, what in the world do you want to do with me? And now God's telling him, you're going to go back to Egypt. You're going to face Pharaoh. You're going to lead millions of your people back to this very mountain. Now, this mountain's called the mountain of God. It's called, sometimes in the Bible, it's referred to as Mount Horeb, which Horeb in Hebrew means desert, or sometimes it's referred to as Mount Sinai. And God says, I want to bring you, I want you to bring millions of people back to the place that you consider to be the place of your greatest failure, back to the backside of the desert. Now, one thing that Moses these 40 years, we do know, is he certainly seemed to learn how to survive in the desert. That's got to be some kind of a life skill, doesn't it? I mean, I think I'd struggle at that. You know, <laughs> I would definitely want, <laughs> you know, my, my waypoints mapped out there, you know, where Elam is, if you know uh, your Bible. I want to know where all the wells are, but Moses will learn how to kind of thrive, you know, in, in a difficult place. And I thought to myself, for me, Sometimes in my life, I look back and you might be here today and you feel like in your spiritual walk right now or in your life, you are living in the desert. You are feeling and maybe even accepting that you are a failure. You know why? Because you have failed. And guess what? <laughs> look around every single one of them this morning. There's some point in time in your life, areas where we have failed. And what happens oftentimes is we 
are in the backside of the desert and we are living in the land of our failure, of our rejection, of our hurts, of our insecurities. And we basically, I know a lot of Christians that say, well, I messed up in my life, whether before I was saved, maybe it was after I saved, and boy, everything didn't go the way and I have really made a mess of things. And, and, and you know, by the grace of God, we need to make a life, we have to survive. And, but over time, I find often we just accept that that is now our new limitation and God could never do anything real great with me. You and I, sometimes we've tasted of this rejection and the hurt. And I don't know about you, but I don't really want any more of it. But the problem is, is that God's still alive. That's good news, actually. It's not a problem. It is for the wayward Christian who's accepted his limitations it's not a problem. Moses spent time there in the desert. Doesn't seem that God was calling him out for that other than to say, you know what? You've learned what you need to learn here. Now I, I want you to know I've got something I want you to do. There's this fresh calling. And I guess as I, as I was thinking about this on the cruise ship, I was thinking to myself and I went back over the, my life and I said, did, did I have any burning bush experiences where, where God was talking to me? And if you serve the Lord any length of time and you have stayed in the race, there are those points along the way where you have been discouraged, where you have failed, where you have felt the rejection and the hurt and said, oh, I can't do this anymore. But then, you know, God comes calling again through some circumstance in your life or maybe the Holy Spirit speaks to you out through the, through the word of God or through one of his servants. And he says to you, I, I got something I, I won't going to use you to do. He tells Moses, I'm going to use you to bring the people right back to this very mountain. I, I, I don't know about you, but I'm sure Moses, <laughs> when he looked at going to the backside of the desert from leaving the palace, he's like, I don't know about you, but if I, if, if I had to bring a million people to show that what, what I've accomplished in my life, I think in my flesh, I'd much rather take them to the palaces at Egypt and say, well, look what I've become. Servant, come over here, do this, do this, you know, instead of saying, hey, let's go down to that place where I went when I was kicked out of Egypt, when people wanted to kill me, when I murdered somebody, when I, nobody knew who I was, when I was an utter failure, living in obscurity, and nobody cared. Let me bring a million people right back to that location. Sounds like fun, doesn't it? But isn't that the truth of 2 Corinthians Chapter 12 and verse number 9, where God says to Paul, who's struggling with his own weakness, in the famous verse, my grace is sufficient for thee, my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather glory in my infirmities. Why? That the power of Christ may rest upon me. See, one of the things that I would tell you as a, in my own personal journey with God is the place that you will meet God and where God will come to you most powerfully is not in your palace experiences, but is in the times when you're in the backside of the desert. Now, it may be like Moses. He was back there for 40 years. I want you to think about that. You ever felt like God wasn't hearing your prayers? I have. 
Ever felt like God just, well, God, you know, I tried. I was doing, I was serving you and doing this. And look at the disaster that happened as a result of that. You know, I, 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 I had done my time. You know, Lord, I, I tried to serve you and I did, I did the right thing. And this is what it got me. You know what? I'm just going to make the best of it. Blah, 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 and there we just accept it. But I'll tell you, the point of our deepest hurt and failure is the place that God will call you. It's the place where we can meet God most powerfully and most intimately. Remember Elijah when he had his problem with Jezebel after he had this big win. <laughs> he, had a, he had a big win on there on Mount Carmel and all the prophets of Baal were wiped out by the sword. And, and uh, you know, Elijah had him a day with the sword. And, and then after that, Jezebel, this, this little wicked woman says, hey, I'm going to come get you. And he runs off. And you remember, do you remember where he ran to? He ran to a cave on Mount Horeb, this very place. And he was depressed and discouraged and found himself the deepest, darkest hole in the wall of a mountain. I don't know about you, but if I, I'm not much of a spelunker. It's not really my thing. But I would say if I wanted to get away from everybody and let nobody bother me, it might be one of the places I might try to go. And there he goes in his self-pity and in his defeat, thinking nobody can see me here but God. And you know the story that God comes to him how? In a still, small little voice and says, Elijah, what are you doing here? I got more for you to do. You know, I've told God, God, I've failed you too much. I've told God, God, I'm not gifted enough. Maybe you're a parent. I know when I was parenting, there were many times I said, God, I do not have the answers to rear up these children. Anybody else feel that way? Okay, I'll come get answers from you guys. I, I did not have the answers. I would say to God, I'm so afraid. I would tell God no one will listen. Does any of this sound familiar? This is what Moses did. I found it interesting, though, God's response to Moses when Moses tells him, hey, I'm slow of tongue and I have all these problems. God says to him in Exodus 4.11, but the Lord said unto him, who hath made man's mouth? Or who maketh the dumb or the deaf or the seeing or the blind? Have not I the Lord? Once again, God says, you think your limitations are a surprise to me? So where do we go after we leave Egypt? I think some point in your Christian life, there's going to be a desert experience and you need to find the mountain of God. Um, you can come up with a lot of excuses on why you're not good enough to serve God. But the problem is serving God in the truest sense has never been about you. It's about Him. And all of us are flawed vessels all of us need to have an accountability time with God. And remember what, when God encounters Moses there at the burning bush and Moses begins to turn, as the Bible says, he turns aside to go see what's going on here. And when he approaches, what does God tell him? He says, first thing he tells him is, take off your shoes. For the place you stand is holy ground. There, there, I'm not saying that there's some things in our lives that don't need to be purified and surrendered to God's holiness. But there's coming a place where we need to, in our Christian walk, end up at the mountain of God 
recognizing the value of the presence of God. Now, as Russ said, I understand their ultimate destination was the promised land, but I thought I'd show you this morning, if you've never seen this before, uh, we'll go, uh, I, I love maps, I'm a map guy, um, you know, and they're different, by the way, they're different folks that are different places where they think Sinai is, I don't know, Brock, where do you think Sinai is, think that's where it is, think you think it's on the Midian side over here in the land of Midian? Yes, that's the other. Some, many people think it's on the other side over here where it says the land of Midian. Um, you know, go to Brock's class and you guys can have that discussion. It's, 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 it's a good discussion. Um, but either way, it's, it's, it's a long route. And the promised land is way up there where it says Canaan. And I don't know about you, but maybe they used Waze. Maybe they had, you know, the first Waze 1.0. And, and, and Waze knew there was, a, there was a traffic jam right there because I certainly go, I would go from Goshen straight up to Canaan and be there in a day or two. You know, but that's not how God led them. God led, leads them down all the way. And, all, and if they went to the Midian, land of Midian, it, either way, he took them a long way. Um, it's a long route. But God tells Moses, before you go there, you're going to lead my people to the promised land, but you're going to first come stop here. You're going to come to this very mountain and worship me here. And we know the rest of the story that Moses, through the grace of God, does accomplish this. And I thought to myself, can you imagine Moses when they get there, and of course, he's already fed up with the children of Israel by the time he gets there. They've already started their problems. That's another sermon coming up here one of these weeks, but he's already, he's probably already over the leadership thing, but he does finally get them there, and I don't know about you. I've, I've been to some baseball games, probably the biggest crowds I've ever attended is some, you know, Chicago White Sox games, right? right? Pastor Cody, Sox fans, you know, with 25, 30,000 people in, in a stadium, which is something. Can you imagine standing on, the, on that mountain and there's two million, three million people out there. And I don't know, not out of a sense of pride, please don't understand, because I think many Christians use this as an excuse not to serve God. But imagine Moses standing up there and he's given the directions, hey, I'm going to go up here for a while and blah, blah, whatever God told him to do. And Moses standing there looking there and I can't imagine the Holy Spirit going to Moses going, see Moses, told you, told you. And there is something very humbling about being used of God <laughs> to bring somebody else into a personal relationship with God. Wow, God. Amazing. And you know, one of the things I have learned is sometimes the desert experiences of your life are areas that you can speak to in a unique way that nobody else can. You know, I have a testimony that, you know, I grew up in a Christian home. I was, I never, I was really a good kid. I was going to say, let me, my mom and dad might agree with that, but, you know, I was a, I was a pretty good guy. I never did what Pastor Cody did. Uh, let's put it that way. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this is my youth pastor. I, you know, pick on the youth pastor. You see, picking on Pastor Dan, picking on Pastor Cody this morning. You know, um, you know, every one of us has a different story. 
I certainly spent times in my life in rejection of God and I wasn't following him the way that I should have. Now, maybe I didn't do it the same way Pastor Cody did or, or you know, Brock did or I'm sure Brock's was way, you went past Egypt and probably all the way to China, but nonetheless, um, everybody in here has their own story. What I have learned is that God will take those hurtful times in your life and it's just like him to use those very experiences of your life to bring other people into the presence of God. But if you are so defeated and you are so insecure and you are so unwilling to step out in faith and believe that God could still use you, you just wander, I guess, there and the rest of your life there in the desert. Now, I thought to myself, you know, what are some reasons to bring them to the backside of the desert? Yes, they had to go there. But remember, these people had been slaves for generations. Now they'd been given freedom and legitimate choice. You know, one of the problems with letting millions of people come illegally across our southern border, we're bringing people into our country that have no idea how it works, the responsibility of citizenship. I don't know. The Israelites had been slaves for generations and now they'd been given this freedom, but they needed to understand the essential need of God's presence in their lives and in the lives of their nation. And then God gave them all the, here's how you can approach me and, you know, set up civil and moral and, and uh, religious uh, guidelines for a nation that would provide them for the culture of who they are as a people. But ultimately, as many of the commentaries wrote, when you read through the book of Exodus, it's all about God getting his people out of bondage and ultimately getting to the place where they understand uh, a healthy worship of God. Now, I'm going to close this morning quoting somebody I still love reading his material. Many of you, I know I've talked to many of you this morning. I, you'll probably recognize this quote, but uh, it's by Ravi Zacharias. And um, this is one of those quotes that he has that the first time I heard it rung in me and it's I just send back my mind all the time. Actually, whenever I go to Exodus, I think about this quote. Ravi Zechariah said this, in the Judeo-Christian worldview, redemption is always prior to righteousness. He goes on and says, I hope you heard that. Redemption is always prior to righteousness. Do you understand what he's saying? You have to be redeemed before you can be righteous. The difference in Christianity and every other world religion is they have it reversed. Righteousness must come before redemption. You must please good enough. You must do enough nice things. You must do enough religious ceremonies. And if you do that just enough, maybe you'll be good enough for God. No, the, 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 the scriptural, the biblical, the God of, of, of the Lord Jesus Christ and the God of the Bible says, no, 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 no. Redemption is always prior to righteousness because you and I by ourselves can never become righteous enough to, eat to, to satisfy the holiness of God. We can't get there. That's why we need Jesus. So Ravi says redemption is always prior to righteousness. And then he goes on and says, and then it is followed by worship. Redemption, righteousness, worship. You cannot be righteous until you are first redeemed and you cannot worship until you are first redeemed and righteous. And then he quotes Psalm 24, verse number three and four. For who shall ascend unto the hill of the Lord 
but he that hath clean hands and a pure heart. If you're a child of God here this morning, you know there are things that are wrong in your life and you're not living in righteousness, it is very difficult, yea, I would say impossible to have powerful worship of God when you have known sin in your life. And instead of dealing with the sin that has given us the problem, instead we, we, we fall back like Moses and we make all these kind of excuses. We say, well, I can't, da, 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 da. No, 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 the real reality is you don't want to deal with the holiness of God. And yet the Bible says in James 4, 8, draw nigh unto God and he will draw nigh unto you. See, the bottom line is you go to the promised land. What good is the promised land without worship? How can we worship without holiness? And really, how can you have victory in the promised land without the presence of God? So I don't know if you've met God in the backside of your desert. I don't know what issues you're facing this morning. But I want you to know from the word of God, just like Moses, that God's not done with you. No matter where you find yourself this morning, if you don't know Christ as your personal Savior, I would tell you, hey, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Recognize he's your sin, but he died in your place and he's offering you the gift of eternal life and just receive that gift and by faith. Or if you're a Christian here today and you've kind of gotten comfortable living in the desert, this morning God's called you to say, hey, I'm not done with you. And even in the areas of your failure, you give them to me, and I can even use the backside of the desert to bring millions of people into the presence of God. Amen? Lord Jesus, thank you for the teaching of your word this morning. Lord, I pray that everyone that is here this morning, if there's some here today that don't know you as their personal Savior, someone watching online, may this be the day that they choose you as their personal Savior. I'm so thankful that the Bible says, for by grace are we saved through faith, and it's not of ourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So Lord, we're thankful for the free gift of eternal life. We're thankful for forgiveness. We're thankful that we can know that we're on our way to heaven because of your promise. But how about it, dear Christian? Maybe there's someone here this morning and you, you know in your life, you feel like you're in the backside of the desert. You, you, you have a lot of hurt, rejection, insecurity. And you say, God, I don't understand how you could ever use me. Can I promise you this morning that God is reaching to you, the Holy Spirit, this very moment. Now, I don't know how he wants to use you, but I promise you there's somebody out there that God will use you to reach for his glory and also to demonstrate to you that he's not done with you. Holy Spirit of God, I pray if that person is here, I pray that you'd encourage their heart. Lord, if there's some area of their life they need to, they need to make a change. They know there's areas they need to give over to you. Maybe there's, a, maybe there's bitterness. Maybe there's unforgiveness. Maybe there's uh, some morals failing in their life that they need to surrender and repent from. Holy Spirit of God, I pray you'd seal those decisions. Lord, help us to walk in victory in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you please stand? We're going to...